0: The words they hear, they need to understand. What the words are telling them, that's the story, that's the vision, that's what they see. That has to be good, but don't get fancy
1: Welcome to the Million Dollar Speaker Podcast. Hi, I'm Audrey Robinson. I'm the master speaker, trainer, international speaker, and author of Speak Up, Get Clients. And this podcast is all about how you can become a million-dollar speaker, how you can reach millions with your message and make millions doing it. And today we have a very special guest that I would like to introduce you to. We have a truly a million dollar speaker. And that is Chuck Hooper. Chuck is a professional speaker, speaker, coach, and he says a pretend author. Prior to being in the speaking business, his claim to fame was a speaking intelligent consultant specializing in data visualization, analytics. He brings over 56 years of experience with him. His speaking business is primarily focused in the higher education market. Chuck currently stays busy as the Dean of the Speakers Academy for the Northern California Chapter of the National Speakers Association. And today, Chuck is gonna share with us 15 Speakers Success Non-Secrets. So let me welcome Chuck
0: Cooper. All right. Welcome, Chuck. Welcome. Thank you, RV. It is my pleasure to be here. I
1: right. am so excited to have you. You are truly a million-dollar speaker and have so many million-dollar tips to share with our audience today. So the first question I always like to ask my guests, and one of the most important ones to my listeners is what are the characteristics of a million dollar speaker?
0: There are a few characteristics, I'd say. One is persistence. No matter what you do, if you're not persistent at it, you're not going to succeed. And probably the single biggest one is, what do you fix for the audience? Mm. If, If you're going to speak and you want paid well, you have to fix something. The analogy I use is you have a major leak in your kitchen. It's flooding and you call a plumber and he shows up 10 minutes later with a bag of tools. He throws it on the ground and says in 20 minutes, I can teach you to use every tool in this basket, in this bag. You don't want that. No. You want them to come in and fix your problem. So I look at the better speakers, the ones that make money, they're plumbers. They come in and they instantly fix. The problem. Yeah. Fixing the problem. Absolutely. Obviously, they have to have good content, good stage presence, virtual or live. Uh, you know, all those things we hear over and over again. It's like s- successful speakers secrets. There are no secrets. There's only going to be one thing that I'm going to say today that you probably haven't heard before. Maybe two or three. It'll probably only be one. Right. And
1: you know what? That one could make all the difference in the world. It could turn somebody from a regular mediocre speaker into a million dollar speaker. It could be the game changer. So I want you to share. I want you to just kind of be a, a dump a brain dump kind of a, all of your knowledge as much as we have time for today chuck because i know you have been speaking how many speeches do you think you've given in your lifetime chuck how many
0: a ballpark i i haven't counted it's four digits <laughs> it's gotta be but i haven't counted at least I, I'm not one of those that sits back and says, Well, I did one, I did two, I did three, I did six this way. I just don't do that. Right. It's not in my mindset. I have too many serious things to think about. It's that persistent thing that I talk about for the high paid speaker. Being persistent is not just persistent in counting your own, you know, tracking your own accolades. Right. It's being persistent in your goal if the goal is money or the goal is to just impact, you know, make the world a better place,
1: make the world a better place. I love the fixing, finding a solution for your audience. So tell us, Chuck, a little bit about how you got into being a professional speaker. I know everybody wants to know, how did you step into that? Because you've been paid to speak. You are truly a professional speaker. So tell us how you got into it.
0: Well, in the speaker industry, I say there are two types, people that are paid to speak and people that speak to get paid. (laughs) I was one of those that did the speak to get paid for many years. Right. And 2000, somewhere in the early 2000s, I don't track dates, I was doing work with a software company and they were a startup. Big deal. Three founders were having a board meeting and before the board meeting, they get a call from a large association that said, we want one of the founders to speak at our association meeting. And the founders were having that board meeting. So one of them said, we can't do it, but we know someone that can. Ah. Said, Talk to Chuck Hooper. He knows about the company. He's done presentations for us for years. Talk to him. So they called me in. In the next seven or eight years, I did 24 keynotes and breakout sessions for that association. So I went from speaking to get paid, speaking as a consultant to drive business, to getting paid to speak. And even with that association, forget the others, but with that association, they invited me to speak at their 100th anniversary conference. It had 5,000 people, 2,800 of them were my target audience Ah. entities. So I paid to speak. I paid for the conference. I paid for my cross-country flight, five nights hotel in Manhattan. I paid for joining their association, everything. But in 50 minutes on stage, I drove six figures in consulting in the next few months. Nice. Good. And 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 you're told you well, you can't sell from the stage. I realize that. But what you do is in your bio. What you accomplish and what you do is in your introduction many times. So the audience has a feel for what you do. That's right. In your speech, you give them fixes to the problems you know they have. Fix their problem. And when they know you can fix it, they will bring you in. So you, you can leave a large conference room of 5,000 people. You, maybe you brought a couple of hundred business cards and you're out before you get out of that auditorium.
1: Right. They seek you out. They stop you. They look for you. You don't even have to have a table or a booth. They'll know you because you can fix their problem. I love that. So let me reiterate. So there's you said two tracks to speak. Speak to get paid and get paid to speak. Is that right? Right. Now, when you went to that conference you paid your own way but mm-hmm. you getting paid to speak at that hundredth year 100? no i no. was not okay but they invited you to come and speak mm-hmm. and you made more money this is what i, I oh you. my god you made more money than you ever could if you got paid to speak
0: absolutely right and, and it's more than just getting a deal with somebody in the audience i had a gentleman call me once from an organization he said my wife was at a conference that you spoke at and she came home and said you need to talk to this guy i think your company could use this
1: whoa
0: so you have this yeah that viral yeah. effect yeah ripple effect. Effect. you impact a small group or in this case thousands you impact them and they take the message somewhere else right and and honestly after that meeting i i didn't do any marketing or sales for a year and a half <laughs> meeting kept me busy week after week for a year and a half.
1: I love that. I love that. And that is absolutely the message that I want everyone to hear is that you know, everybody's like, well, well, why should I pay to play? Now it's a pay to play, right? It used to be a paid to speak and then speak to get paid. And now it's actually uh, a pay to play out there. Mm-hmm speaking world. And people are like, well, why should I pay to play? Now, I'm not saying you got to, you want to pay to play every single time. I'm saying be open to it. Take a look at it because it could also pay off. So if you had to pay, you know, to play that, let's say they said, okay, Chuck, we we want you to pay $2,000 for 15 minutes on stage. Would you do it? Knowing what you know now?
0: It depends on who the audience is.
1: No, I mean the same audience, every same scenario. That you would oh. pay six figures, you would pay two thousand.
0: Oh, good grief! Yes, I paid over seven. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and, it, and it came back the next week. Amen. And then it kept coming back. So,
1: if someone had an opportunity, Chuck, to pay to play, let's like say now in this environment. What advice would you give them? What would you tell them to look for to make sure that they got the ROI that they needed to get?
0: Who's the audience? It's all about who is the audience. Is it your? And how many people are there? If it's five people of your target audience, probably not worth it. Right. Because you know, even one out of five would be good. But if it's in my case, twenty eight hundred people of my target audience, oh, hell, yes. Yes,
1: the other thing I, re- I always recommend people ask is, is it the, is the event host, the event producer, the event host, is it their first rodeo? Because if it's their very first event, you might not want to do that particular one because there's no track record. So I think that's another important question.
0: Well Well, let, let's separate two instances here. Okay, in the one where I paid 7,000 dollars, it was an association that I had been associated with. I'd done presentations for them before I knew people. Record. And it was their 100th anniversary conference. So they had some experience. But I get offers now from people that say, hey, we have this great opportunity for you. We're going to have 150 event planners in the audience. And we want you to speak. And it's only going to cost you (laughs) $3,000. Those I typically turn down. Why? Why is because, it? Why well, it down? If you research them, I find that most of the ones I run into, it's their first rodeo, as you say. Yeah. They're doing this to make money. And I've noticed a lot more of these opportunities since the pandemic hit. People are looking for ways to make money because their business has gone south in 2020. Got
1: it. Got it. One. So they're trying to do it as paid speaking gigs. But again, I love this conversation, Chuck. Let's, let's go a little further with this because I haven't had this yet on, my, on any of these podcasts that I've done um, because sometimes it does pay to play. Sometimes mm-hmm. it does pay to play. We've asked the appropriate questions and now so the answer is kind of yes. Yeah. How likely... Is it that someone will really make their money back or make get more business? What is the, do you know the percentage? Um, What is the likelihood that they are going to get anything out of it? I guess is a way to put it.
0: Yeah. I I don't know any official study that's been done on how many people make money. One thing I do, if somebody says, pay the 3000, there's going to be 150 of your target audience in the, your target in the audience. Who did you have last year? And I call some of those people, or I reach out to those people. And I say, you know, you did your 15 minutes of fame, what did it bring back? And if I talk to 10 people and they say nothing, 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 got nothing from it, I'm probably gonna say no. Right. And what I found, the reason that nothing's happened more often than not, when somebody says event planners, we have event planners, it's an event planner from an association of 28 people. You know, it's the person that handles events. It's not big name people. Those people aren't in those groups as often as the advertisers of those events would make you think.
1: Right, right. I. What do you think of this, Chuck, though? I think sometimes isn't it really up to that person that paid the money to be hungry and to go get the business instead of they're saying, okay, I gave you 3000. Now I'm going to sit here in my sponsor booth and wait for people to come instead of being at the meeting every single hour, being present, talking, being visible. I mean, I think people can really work it to
0: persistence. reach out, reach out over and over to you reach out until somebody says, if you call me again, I'm going to shoot you. (laughs) You Right, right. (laughs) Because if they haven't gotten to that point, they're still listening at something you have to say.
1: Right, I love that. See, that's gold right there. So let's talk a little bit. So again, I I would encourage people to try it. Always try everything. If it doesn't work out, doesn't pay off for your business, you know, go into it, do your research, ask the right questions, do it, you know, like what's up. Chuck, you said is uh, ask the past people in the last year or whatever, and, and really do your homework and do your research and then work it just like you would work a room like you are hungry and you are looking for the food. And uh, when you do that, then, then it'll pay for itself. I think it's uh, a good thing. and you can- the, other
0: thing, the other thing I'll mention is if the event is virtual, you have a much smaller chance of effecting new business than if it's in person if you have that audience sitting in front of you of 150 people and you're on a real stage talking, right. When you get off the stage, there's networking time. There's lunchtime. Yes. There's, there's typically an event a meet and greet with the people that show up. That's where you sell. That's where you get the opportunities. That's where you get the business cards. You get the people that come up to you and say, I like what you had to say. Do you have a card? Do you have something that I can, you know, Used to call you next week, right? And those those work out. It has been tougher in the virtual world,
1: right? I totally agree. You have to work that virtual world uh, even harder. Like I was uh, saying before, you have to be inside the room, even the virtual room. Mm-hmm. And and see what happens at live events, Chuck, as you know, the sponsors or the sponsor speakers, they're there because they've invested in their plane ticket. They've invested in their hotel. So they're usually present or they're out in the hallway talking to somebody. But in the virtual world, it is too easy for them to go out or multitask. And that's the big mistake. They need to be present in the virtual world, not just waiting for their booth time, uh, their virtual booth time, but actually be there talking raising their hand, being in the chat, participating. Yes, it's harder, but not impossible. But I find that a lot of them just don't work the room like they would work a room if it was live.
0: So the, the other question is, you know, if you're using an example, Zoom, is it a webinar or is it a meeting? If it's a meeting where you can see a list of the people, or is it a webinar where you're on stage and you see nobody else? If they won't give you the email addresses, the contact information, the answer is no.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you. The answer is no. You've got to get something out of it. All right. So, Chuck, let's switch gears for a moment. Now, you've been speaking many years, right? Many, many years. I don't even know how many years. Now, we're, and I assume you've spoken out of country, right?
0: A few times.
1: Few times. What is the most exotic place that you ever spoke at? You know, like the one that is just so memorable and so exotic uh, that you have a story
0: around it. I don't have any story about exotic. <laughs> I, just, I just had one that I keep remembering that occurred in Ireland, Dublin, Ireland. Mm. And I was doing a presentation. And it was a multi-hour presentation and we took a break. And the event planner came up to me and said, oh, the people next door, they can hear you speak. And I said, oh, should we turn down the volume or something? He says, no, they love your accent. (laughs) And you don't think of that very often that if you're speaking in a foreign country, You're the one with the accent, not them.
1: Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that. That is so, so, uh, so cool. Yeah, because Irish people, they do have, yeah, we know they have a big accent. One of the things also, and tell us what we need to be mindful of when we speak out of country, whether it's it's Uh, or not. So what should we be mindful of?
0: Three things. Three things. Okay. What are those? Enunciate. Ooh. You're probably speaking to an audience where English is a second language. And even if you're going through an interpreter, and I've had to do that a few times, enunciate, speak slow. And here's the tip that may be the one you haven't heard before from a group do not use contractions. Okay. Don't say can't. Okay. That's a big one. What are you emphasizing when you say can't? You're emphasizing the can. I can't believe it. Oh. Uh, to an audience whose native language Got it. does not have contractions, they just heard you say, I can. Oh. And you want to emphasize or not, I cannot believe this. Wow. So I have seen speeches go south Because someone said, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this in their speech. And the audience is confused. You look at the audience and they're going, but that's what he's speaking about.
1: Right.
0: He says he can't do it.
1: Right. Chuck, don't you think that would be a good rule of thumb, even in America? Absolutely. Because there are so many people from other cultures. Yeah, it's
0: any, any audience.
1: Any audience. I love that. That's a million dollar idea right there. One of the things that I learned by speaking uh, out of country is don't use American like commercials, nice. commercials as an example. One day I I was on. I was on. Check this out. I was on the cruise ship. It wasn't a cruise cruise ship, but we were on a ship on the Nile River right, in Egypt, and I said to my group, who's from Hong Kong and all over the world, I said that it's like this. It's like when E.F. Hutton speaks. Everybody... And I'm like, that's right, that's an old 50s commercial. And I had one person in the audience who's from the US do that, you know, which is put your hand to your ear to listen. And I learned very quickly, oh, they don't know this. But it was a speech that I had, of course, practiced, rehearsed, and it was automatic. And I didn't take into consideration. This is, of course, years ago. But that's what what else besides like? commercials in the U.S., there must be some other uh, things to stay away from and be aware
0: of as well. Slang expressions. Ooh. foreign uh, American slang. Don't <laughs> use slang. I, I tell people, bore yourself with your words. <laughs> what do you mean by that? The words they hear, they need to understand. What wow. the words are telling them, that's the story. That's the vision. That's what they see. That has to be good but don't get fancy. Don't talk about EF Hutton. <laughs> I, I actually had a, a situation years ago where my sister was in a hospital dying. Oh, dear. And I was sitting at her bedside day and night for three, three full days and nights. Mm. And I'm a techie guy. And there's this big machine monitoring her and feeding her. So I Googled the machine and found an instruction manual. So I knew everything that you know, I could work the machine. Wow, good. And, for and this foreign doctor came in and he's looking at it. And I asked him a question about changing something to monitor something I had seen. And he looked at me and said, Oh, are you a doctor? And I said, No, but I slept in a Holiday Inn last night. <laughs> The what? TV commercial that has been popular, oh. you know, whatever your expertise is, no, but I slept in a Holiday Inn last night. Oh. And he looked at me like I was nuts. <laughs> the, the two nurses, American, just were cracking up. Got it, because they got it. Uh, don't use slang. Do not use slang. Do not use contractions like I just did. We all do it. Do right. not use it on stage. Right. Again, American audiences, there's another thing to look at besides the language issue, and that's the age of the audience. Okay. I was speaking to a college audience, university, and I used a story about Mickey Mouse outfit. I had where a company presented to Walt Disney, and just to let you know, we're no Mickey Mouse outfit. And his presentation was cut short and he was escorted out the door. The term Mickey Mouse outfit dates back to the late 50s, early 60s, hmm. post-war Japan, when the outfits and the watches coming in, the outfits had two different size arms and legs, and the watches had hands and bezels that fell off. Mickey Mouse outfit, the connotation was very poor quality. Oh, And it got associated with Disney because they're the ones that had contracted for all of this. Right. So the very poor quality, a Mickey Mouse outfit is something they do not want to hear well for disney somebody used a term without understanding the source of the term and insulted the disney folks Mm -hmm. when i said it to a college crowd audience they looked around because they would never heard the term
1: right 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 you know I think that that's key as far as, again, stay away from slang, even in the U.S., even in your own native country, whatever that is, because one of the pet peeves that I have, Chuck, is when people say, you guys – in a mixed audience I am not a guy I don't like to be called a guy and younger people the younger group of course they do it more often than the older group but either way I teach my students if you catch yourself saying you guys say you guys and girls you know but just be safe and say ladies and gentlemen no one is going to get insulted by being called a lady or a gentleman You know, worst case, you could say folks, but never, ever say, you guys, when you're addressing an audience, I don't care where it is, stay away from that term. And again, if you hear yourself, just correct it, because I have had uh, people, some of my students have told me other people have done that, and they've gone to them as a speaker and have said something to them at the end of their talk, and they didn't buy from them because they said, you guys. I mean, we are... What we say can make us money or cost us money. It can sell or it can repel. So we always have to be careful of what we say. I
0: I tell people, one of the things I do when I'm working with a group of potential speakers or speakers, and most of my audience is corporate management and executives going to conferences and I help them before they go. We all know what a postmortem is. Somebody (laughs) dies. A medical examiner figures out why that person died. Right. What I preach, the final thing you do before you deliver your speech, and hopefully a week in advance, you do what I call the pre-mortem. You figure out what's going to kill your speech before you give it. And you do that, let's suppose you're a, a college student. Give your speech to other students. And there's one requirement. They must find something wrong they must this is not toastmasters where you praise them no matter what they do (laughs) you must find something wrong if you're a business person you've been part of a team and you're the one that's been elected to give the presentation you give the speech to your team and they're not allowed out of the room until they find something wrong each one of them and you repeat the process you fix what they said wrong you give it again and you do it until everybody finds ridiculous things that are laughable. And they laugh about it because there's nothing wrong. Right. And that's how you get away from the you guys, or the EF Hutton, or right. the Mickey Mouse things. Somebody's gonna bring it up and say, no, here's what might happen. Don't use that.
1: Right. No, I I totally agree. If everyone would do that, there would be better speeches. I don't know about you, Chuck, but some, you know, as a speaking coach, and I know you're a fellow speaking coach, it is painful to see someone stand on stage and I don't want to say fail, but not do as good a job as they could have done if they just did what you said, either give it in front of somebody that knows, or, uh, you know, again, I think it's key because just giving it in front of your, you know, your husband, your wife, they're going to be praising you. They're going to say, good job. And we want that. I really think you have to get a speaking coach. You need to, you know, give that speech in front of people who know how to look for things and know how to make it better. Uh, so what do, you, what do you think about that? You know, just really get no,
0: it. The people you give it to should be representative of yeah. your target audience, representative yeah. of where you're going to be. If it's a younger crowd, practice in front of younger people. If it's an older crowd, practice in front of older people. But the key is they must find something wrong. Right. And and if you can do that and reiterate the process to where they find something wrong, I have found by the third time, there's nothing they'll find wrong. You have fixed everything. The speech is perfect. Now, be confident when you give it that you're not making a mistake. Confidence is important.
1: I love that. Find something wrong. Find something that um, people can improve, that that person can improve. Now, I heard a speech last night and it was like, This uh, woman was talking really fast. I mean, she had a lot of other things that she could have improved, but she comes up to me afterwards, knowing I'm a speaking coach, but not one of my students. And and, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? You know, she's like, you know, I really want the honest truth and I'm not going to give it. You know, I'm not going to really give it. But I did say. Well, you kind of talked a little fast. It was hard to follow. She goes, here's what she said to me, Chuck. She goes, oh, people tell me that all the time. And I'm thinking to myself, then why don't you do something about it? You know? So it's like, okay. But uh, it was so fast. I couldn't. And I talk fast. But I do take a breath. And this person didn't even take a breath. But if someone tells you something over and over and over and over and over again, it might be a to listen and to seek out a speaking coach or to fix it yourself. Because how can you fix your audience? How can you fix their problem if you can't even fix your own?
0: Yeah, I've been told uh, years ago that I need to smile more when I'm on stage. Because I was a deadpan speaker, (laughs) even when I'm telling a joke. And they just said, you need to relax. You need to smile more. Right. And, And I teach people that. You need to smile when you come on stage. Wave if you're walking on a big stage. You're not going to make eye contact with 5,000 people, but keep spreading it around the room as if you are. Right. Every section you look at will think you're looking at them.
1: Exactly. Eye contact. So important. Tell us a little bit about uh, how important it is Uh, to practice and prepare and how many hours, besides just going to your peer group and saying, hey, let's fix this, find something wrong, before they even get to that point, they need to have their presentation down. So how many hours should they be putting into their speech?
0: Depends on how long the speech is, but Mm -hmm. I break a speech into three parts, the grab, the guts, and the gotcha. The grab is the first eight seconds. Okay. It has to get the audience's attention. You grab their attention in eight seconds or less.
1: Okay, so we got the grab. I love this. This is million-dollar stuff. We got the grab. Grab, the guts. Guts. That's the
0: meat of the matter, the education, yeah. right? And the, and the gotcha. And the gotcha. And my rules are the grab is eight seconds. So you say something in the first eight seconds, it gets their attention. Example I use, uh, golf tournament I was playing in, we were having breakfast before the tournament started and they had a speaker come in and talk to us. He was a golf pro. And he said, in the next 20 minutes, I'm going to teach you to hit a golf ball further and straighter than ever before. Okay. Nobody ate their breakfast. They put down their forks, their spoons, their cups, and they just stared at this guy.
1: Ah, Because
0: he started with something every single person in that room wanted to hear, wanted to know what he was going to say. We listen. Two hours later on the course we found out it was full of craft, but that's another story. The, yeah, Patricia, Patricia Fripp is a speaker. She has some papers out on what are good starts. You know, ask a question, make a statement the audience wants the to understand. The guts is that sequential, step-by-step, methodical, logical process of going from the beginning of your story to the end. And the end is your gotcha. It's one or two sentences at the most. It's 20 seconds at the most, and it's where you hit your audience in the gut, in the heart, in the head. You hit them so that you have two results. One, they want to do what you've asked them to do. And two, they know it's the right thing to do. If I'm doing a sales pitch, I can hold a gun to somebody's head and say, okay, sign on the dotted line or else I can get him to do what I want him to do, but he needs to know it's the right thing. And that, that's, that's the thing that a lot of people miss.
1: Right. So, so is the sales piece or the, what I call the invitation in my world, is that during the guts or during the gotcha? In your, in your system.
0: That'd be toward the end of the gu- uh, guts. The gotcha? Or the, no, guts. the end of the guts. guts and- the gotcha itself is that thing that, it's that final sentence where you tell them what to do. And it can't be as simple as uh, click on my link and go sign up. Okay. That's, that's earlier. Okay. It has to be something. And what's interesting, it can be silence. I had a lady that was a charity, worked with a charity group getting donations for a children's foundation. And she said she speaks to these audiences of 60 or 80 people when she gets $40 from the audience, maybe 60 on a big day when she asks for donations. Wow, that's no, that's not good. I said, how do you do that? Give me your speech. And she goes through this eight minute speech word for word, everything, She's, it's beautiful. And she gets to the end and she says, now that you know what your donations can do for these children, take out your checkbook, take out your wallet, take out your purse, donate. We'll have somebody circling the room with a basket.
1: That doesn't sound very compelling, does it?
0: But, but then she said, okay, thank you for having me. Everybody have a nice lunch and go. Oh, and I said, right. just do what you did, and when you get to the end, after you said, take out your purse, your checkbook, your wallet and donate, shut up, don't blink, stare, stare at that first table to the wealthiest looking lady at the table and don't stop staring till she reaches for her wallet, then stare to somebody across from her, then go to the next table. She saw me a few weeks later and said, I did what you said. I stared at somebody. It didn't take her 15 seconds to pull her purse out and reach for her wallet. The guy across the table from her pulled out his wallet immediately, and the next thing you could see, it was just going viral through the room. She says, I got $1,200.
1: I love it. I love it. Plus, what's valuable here, Chuck, is she has that method, your training, for the rest of her life to do it's it just,
0: over and over and over. When you've hit them in the heart, you've hit them in the head, you've hit them in the gut, shut up and let it take hold I love don't give them an excuse to not act on what you've just asked them to do do not give them an excuse just shut up
1: I love that I love that And that that is so hard for speakers is to shut up and that's exactly what they need to do
0: but (laughs) shutting up sometimes can be your strongest words amen because words are painting a picture shutting up paints another picture
1: I love that. I love it. You know, Chuck, this has been so delightful. I could just go on and just talk to you for hours and hours on end. So we'll, we'll uh, do another uh, podcast interview in the future. But for today, we need to end. But uh, how would somebody get a hold of you, Chuck, if they wanted to hire you or they wanted to ask you a question or wanted more information?
0: I think my email address is up there. All right, so Chuck Chuck at at speakerpresenter.com.
1: Right, Chuck at speaker. And we'll put it in the show notes as well to make sure that if anybody that listens wants to know more, because you have just been brilliant today and share, well, you're probably brilliant every day, but you've just shared your brilliance with us today and we just so appreciate it. Now, Chuck, one last question. If you were talking to a brand new speaker, knowing everything that you know right now, What would your number one advice be to them?
0: Get a coach, not me. Get multiple coaches.
1: Why not you? you?
0: Well, no, no, no. I'm I'm not 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 selling at that point. Take
1: me. Take me.
0: (laughs) I Robinson, great coach. I (laughs) I tend tend to send people to coaches that will help them, depending on their level. If a new speaker comes to me and says, and I ask them, what do you speak about? And they go, I can speak about anything. My answer is no, I'm not going to coach them. I said, when you figure out what your passion is, what your purpose is, and you can live it, there's an old saying, um, Mark Twain said, there are two important dates in everyone's life, the day you're born, and the day you find out why. (laughs) I'm I'm going to add a third date to that. It's the day you march to your why. Mm. And the speaker has to have their why. And the march, are you truly going to do it? My advice to speakers is is based on a series of questions I'll ask them about what's their topic, what's their skill level. And and I get, oh, I'm really good. And then I listen to them and they're really bad. So it's not a piece of advice is one thing you give right up front. You need to banter back and forth a little bit to find out where they really are before you lay down the rules.
1: Right. Absolutely correct. Absolutely. All right, Chuck. Well, I'm going to have you back on the show in a few months because I know you have a lot more knowledge to share, but today has just been such a delight. You are just so brilliant, like I said. And um, again, I encourage everybody to just check, just reach out to you and just chat with you. Now you do, one last thing, you do do meetings. You have NSA um, meetings, you have an NSA organization. Do you wanna just share real quickly about if someone uh, wanted to join that organization, how they would do that?
0: Sure, the National Speakers Association, not the National Security Agency. <laughs> NSA, the National Speakers Association, is an association of professional speakers and people that want to be professional speakers. You can go to the Nsa.org website or Nsaspeaker.org website and sign up as a, what's called an essential member. If you're a professional speaker making 25,000 a year, you can sign up as a professional member. If you're not, you want to be, or just speak for free. Sign up as an essential member. Once you sign up as an essential member or professional member, then look for a chapter in your area. There are, I think, 32 chapters around the country. I'm in Northern California. We have one. There's one in Los Angeles. Right. The, the chapters are subgroups of national that have their own meetings, their own trainings, their own get togethers, networking, but they're there to help each other in the speaker world. I don't think we are competitors. R.V. said, you know, she's a coach. I'm a coach. I would never consider her a competitor because she has her way that might work better for some people than my way. And I think we help each other. So NSA and then look for local chapters of the National Speakers Association.
1: Amen. And just to, to the coach, I mean, I've had many different business coaches for many different reasons. And so you don't just have one speaking coach. You have many speaking coaches for different reasons. So you continually learn how to speak and get into an organization like NSA, where it's a community of supporters and like minded people. And you can talk about speaking and you can exchange speaking engagements and speaking ideas and speaking, and and it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. So I encourage everyone to be a part of a community like that. All right, Chuck, it's so, uh, our time's up and it's been such a pleasure being with you today. So as we wrap up, I just want to again share Chuck's two characteristics of being a million-dollar speaker. Persistence, remember, again, consistency in the speaking world is key. So be pers- uh, be persistent if you want to step out there and speak and fix the problem, right? Always look. Yes, fix it. Just fix it. Uh, So great two characteristics of a million-dollar speaker. All right. Well, that wraps up our show for this week. We'll see you back here again next week on the Million Dollar Speaker Podcast. Bye for now.
0: Harvey, thank you very much.
1: Mm. Bye. Welcome. You're welcome, Chuck. Thank you so much for listening to the Million Dollar Speaker Podcast.